Amen. Grab your Bibles, turn to Psalms 112, Psalms 112. The uh, Psalms is a, is a book of the Bible that you can pretty much pick any chapter you want and begin reading, and there's going to be something in there for you. There's going to be an encouragement, there's going to be a, a, a praise, there's going to be some uplifting, there's going to be some prayers that you'll, you'll hear, and as you're reading in your heart and mind, you're even praying them yourself and saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want. I mean, the Psalms is one of those books that just, if you need encouraged or you need to hear from heaven, just get sit down and begin reading the Psalms. There are some passages of Scripture that are, that are a little more challenging to, to get something out of, but the Psalms certainly isn't one of them. If you look in this Psalms this evening, I did tell you uh, that we were going to be dealing with the godly man. The godly man, there are in this Psalm uh, three men that are mentioned. Tonight, we're just going to look at the first one, but there are three mentioned here. You'll see in verse number one, first of all, we see there really the man that is mentioned is the man that fears the Lord. He fears the Lord. Now, I'm going to call him the godly man. Uh, the man that fears the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. That's the godly man. Then you'll notice in verse number five that you see there's a good man. There's a good man that's lifted there. That man shall show favor and lendeth, and he will guide his affairs with discretion. And then look down in verse number 10. You'll see here in verse number 10 that the wicked man is mentioned. He says, the wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Now this evening, we're only going to have time to look at the first one, that godly man. And uh, this would be a... Great Father's Day message. This would be a great men's meeting message. Um, but I hope that you understand that when we're talking about or, or de- describing the godly man, that we're talking about mankind, the individual. Man, woman, young man, young lady uh, can be a godly person. Amen. And so that's what we want you to apply it to your heart as we're using the term, uh, the godly man. It's, it's applicable to all of us this evening. So look in these first, uh, we're going to read each verse as we're going through it. So I mean, for the sake of time, we're not going to take time to read the entirety of the text, but we'll be looking at these beginning verses. So I want you to see, first of all, his characterization, his characterization. The Bible says in verse number one, he says, pray ye the, the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord and delighteth greatly in his commandment. He said, praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. So I'm going to give you uh, a, a, an outline of this text and kind of break this down for you. As we see his characterization, I want you, first of all, that their attention that is given to praise. You'll see this all through the Psalms, but it's something that is necessary as believers that we be a people that are given to praise. Amen. We need to acknowledge what God is doing in our lives. We've got a lot of cause to praise God tonight. We've got a lot of reason and motivation to lift our hand in praise, to to raise our voice in praise, to acknowledge what God the Father has done for us. If, if, If all he ever did was save our soul from an eternity in a place called hell and give us a guarantee of the place called heaven and for us to experience the forgiveness of sin, we've got cause to praise God tonight. But that, of course, is not all that God has done. God has done so much more, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. 
You know, beloved, I, I look sometimes and think about the idea that I've got some pretty big ask. I mean, I've got some things in my heart and mind I look at and I say, boy, Lord, I sure would like you to do this. Or, boy, it would be amazing if this was accomplished. And I've got some things that in my heart and my mind I look at and say, man, that's a big ask. But God's able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. We've got cause to praise God tonight. We see the attention given to praise. And we want you to see the advantage of fear. He says here that blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. That feareth the Lord. Beloved, the, the world tonight has long since attacked the idea that God is a God that judges sin. There is the, the mindset or the attitude or the idea even in the church today that they want to remove all the fear of God. They, 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 they don't want to talk about even pastors that get up and begin to preach about the fear of God. And, and we, we want to give qualifiers and, and disclaimers. And we want to make sure it impacts people softly and understanding that, oh, this is a fear of disappointing God. This is not a fear that God's going to judge you or that God's standing up in heaven with a hammer like the old uh, fire and brimstone preachers that used to get up and preach. Thus saith the Lord and, and you better get right or God's going to judge your heart of sin. Oh, no, that's not. We, we don't hear much preaching like that today. But that is the kind of God he is. He is a thrice holy God and he does judge sin. I want you to just take a minute in your mind's eye and walk through the pages of scripture. I'll tell you what Ananias and Sapphira understood that God judges sin. There, there was an old uh, man of God. He was a, a, a servant of the Lord that was just trying to do something right by the name of Uzziah. And he uh, reached up and he touched Something he wasn't supposed to touch, the ark. And God killed him. God killed him. Achan was supposed to take that first fruits of Jericho and, and give them to God. And, and he decided to take some of it back for himself and hide it under his tent. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, the whole entire nation paid for that. God judges sin, friend. And it's healthy for us to have a fear of the Lord. It's healthy for us to acknowledge and realize and to know that God is a God that judges sin. And the very thing that brings us comfort, the fact that God is everywhere and that God sees everything that we do. His eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Oh, it's wonderful to consider that God is with us when we're driving down the road and there's an accident about to happen. And wow, God's protection was there. Praise his holy name. But that same thing ought to wake us up with the the reality of that God sees it all. He knows what we're participating in. He knows what we're letting our eyes see. He knows the thoughts that are passing through our mind. He knows the intentions of our heart. He knows the lusts that are present there. He knows the desires that aren't pleasing, the pride that's puffed up. He knows what's going on in our life. And man, there ought to be something in our heart that says, man, oh, wretched man that I am. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There is something there. There's an advantage of, a, of to fear God. Parents, your kids should have a healthy fear of you. This is where the fear of God is established in the heart of young people. If they don't fear you, they will fear no authority. I was with my dad one time when he was trying to help a family with their son. 
He looked at this mother and father and he said, if you don't change something, this boy will end up in prison. He does not fear you. He does not understand authority. You've got to do something or he'll end up in jail. And he did. He ended up in jail. To my knowledge, he's still in jail. You see, that they learn to fear authority by a parent that instills that in them. I heard this week a 911 call, a recording of a 911 call. The mother called 911 and she said, Could you please send a police officer? My 12 year old daughter is out of control. There's nothing that I can do with my 12 year old daughter. And the officer, in a calm and even voice, said, Okay, ma'am. Uh, would you like us to shoot her? <laughs> and that mom did not like that at all. The rest of the conversation was an argument about how he shouldn't even joke like that. And he says, you're right, I shouldn't. But I was just wondering what you want us to do about your 12-year-old girl. Because right. right. she wasn't taught to behave. She wasn't taught to have any respect for authority. The fear of God starts with biblical discipline in the home. You love them on one end and bust them on the other. And they'll learn to love you and obey God. Psalm 16, verse number 6, I'm sorry, Proverbs 16, 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. It takes both, mercy and truth. And he says, But by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The fear of the Lord. You know, there's been a few times in my life that the fear of God overtook me in such a powerful way, I was stopped in my tracks. I know of two times specifically that that just, I was drifting from God. I was allowing sin to remain in my life. I knew it was present and God was convicting me about that and I was putting it out of my mind. And I remember one day I was driving down Highway 20 in, in Chesterton, Indiana. I was driving down 20 halfway between Chesterton and Michigan City. And I remember driving that road and the fear of God hitting me that you will not make it back to college unless you fix this now. I had sin in my life that I knew was present and God stopped me. I pulled the car over right there, got out of my car, knelt down in the grass on the side of the road and says, God, forgive me. You are a holy God. You judge sin. I know that. Has the fear of God ever gripped your heart? He is a holy, powerful, omnipotent Lord the creator of the universe, the savior of your soul. We need to have a fear of him. A fear of him. I want you to see this authority of the word of God is stated here. 
He says, praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. He says, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Delighteth greatly in his commandments. You see, beloved, that word delight is to be pleased with or to desire. That desire, that motivation, the joy of fulfilling and accomplishing his commandments is born is transferred, or I should say it begins with a heart of fear and moves. It starts, we, we, we fear his discipline. That's where it starts. But as you grow in your love for God and your understanding of who he is and what he's done for you, it moves to a point where you fear disappointing him. That becomes as painful in your heart as the discipline God would have brought. Parents, we need to understand this as we're raising and training our kids. Do you know a young, a young child does not, in his heart and mind, weigh the emotional impact of his disobedience on mom and dad? A child, a young child doesn't think about it and think, well... I love mom and dad, and I know that if I dump my milk out on the carpet, that it's going to disappoint my father, and so I'm not going to dump my milk out on the carpet. No. You see, your control as a parent with a young child is because your child learned that the last time he dumped his milk on the carpet, he had a come-to-Jesus meeting, (laughs) and and he learned that that is not what he wants to do. Regardless of how much fun it was to dump his milk on the carpet, he learned he does not like what comes next. And so he's not going to dump his milk on the carpet. But what has to happen, you see, when they're really, really young, 100% of your control is because of discipline. As they grow between here and the place that they get 18, there is a, a graph that changes where your control in their life is not because of discipline, but there is a transfer that takes place when you get over here to when they're 18 and your control in their life now is because of influence. You have influence in their life. And that is because you have their heart. And that has to take place between there and here. You can't just continue to discipline a 14-year-old like you did a 4-year-old. There has to be a winning of their heart and a guiding of their life and a transfer of their love so that when the time that they get over here, you as a father can look at them and say, I don't know if that's a good idea, son. And they say, okay, well, I won't do it then. Not because they're afraid of disappointing you or, or of, I'm sorry, of, of you disciplining them, but because they don't want to disappoint you. And that's where as Christians we get to when we fear God. It starts with the fear of knowing who he is, that he does judge sin. But as our relationship with him grows, it transfers to a place where it would break our hearts more just to know we disappointed him. To fear disappointed him. Beloved, we need to move from a place of obedience out of duty to a place of obedience out of love. 
We need to learn to love, listen, meditate, muse, and memorize the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be a a fervent and full part of our life. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. You know, I, think, I know sometimes we ponder and think about what it must have been like for Jesus and for the disciples to walk with Jesus, to talk with him. And just, I mean, being in Israel and seeing those things firsthand is, is an amazing, uh, just an unbelievable blessing and, and a treat. But, but you know what? There was times when the disciples didn't have the word with them. Because the word was God. He was made flesh and dwelt among them. But there was times when he wasn't there. And they didn't have the word. But we have the word all the time. We have it all the time. And it needs to be something that's precious to us. The very words of our Lord and Savior we hold here in our hands. Do you delight in them? There's a big difference between obedience out of duty and obedience out of delight. That's where we want to get to. So we see here the characterization of this godly man. His attention to praise, the advantage of fear, and the authority of the word of God that takes place in his life. And then I want you to see the commentary in verses 2 and 3. We see the commentary about him. First of all, we notice the ability of his children. He says here, his seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. They're going to be mighty. Your children are going to be mighty. Note, this is a promise to any man that fears God. That your children can be mighty. This is not a promise to the pastor or to the prophet or to uh, the evangelist. or This is a, any man or woman who would like to fear God who would like to be godly, your children can be mighty. It's a promise. He said, this is, what that, this is what that godly man's children are going to be like. They're going to be mighty, mighty upon the earth. You have the benefit of being a powerful influence on people around you when you are a godly individual. You have a powerful impact on them. He says that they will be upright You know, beloved, it's very rare that a child will go further than his parents. It doesn't matter how much time he spends in Sunday school or in the Christian school or in the church programs. Very rarely will a child ever go beyond what mom and dad were. A lot of times parents... Ask the question and say, I don't understand what happened. We stuck him in Christian school. We stuck him in church. We, we had him in the right environments. Children have their own individual responsibility. But I want you to understand, beloved, to desire for your child to be more than you are is one thing. We all desire for our child to be more than we are. I mean, I want my kids to be better prayer warriors than me. I want them to know God's word better than me. I want them to uh, excel and go beyond in their skills and ability to minister and to witness to the lost and to reach the world more than me. 
But to desire them to be more than what you are is one thing. For to desire them to be what you're not is another. That's another. So are you that godly man? Not. You don't have to be perfect. But are you godly? He says they will be blessed. What an amazing thing to think about the fact that we can have a lifelong, lasting impact upon our children. Not even lifelong. There is the implication here in the text that you'll bless beyond your, even your kid's life. He says here, he describes that. He says the generation of the upright shall be blessed. That is the, the implication, the idea that even beyond your kids, that the generation that follows will be blessed. Because you were godly. Because you lived right. Because you feared God, praised his name. Those that you have the privilege of influencing will be blessed. Because you loved his word. We learn in verse number three how they're blessed. And what amazing blessing this is. Everybody likes this one. Wealth and riches, amen. So we see the abundance of his children. Not just the ability that God gives, but the abundance of his children. He says, riches in abundance they're going to have. He says, wealth and riches shall be in his house. Wealth is enough. Riches is more than enough. Riches is beyond wealth. And beloved, I've seen God bless his children in so many ways. Miraculous things I've seen God do for those that are upright. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now, that's not how the world would go about getting riches. But that's what God says is the way, the, the method, the tool. Do you understand, beloved, that a life of virtue will draw blessing to it? Just like a life of sin will draw hardship, a life of sin will, will bring trial. I mean, we understand that. We say, well, yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to have a, a problem. You're going to have a burden because you've lived a life of sin. You've, you've done that which is unwise with your finances and you've, you've invested or spent uh, money on things of this world and you, you've made unwise choices and you've taken your life and, and you've fluttered it away on, on useless pursuits of this old, this old world. Well, obviously you're going to have trouble. But the opposite is just as true that when you do what is right, I think the Bible says you reap what you sow. Amen. That's what the Bible says. And when you live right and do what's right, you are blessed accordingly. Do you know somebody that is uh, frugal? Usually over a little bit of time, that kind of uh, results in a little bit more purchasing power because they've been frugal. When you work hard and are honest and, and serve and do right, God blesses that. And over time, you reap the blessings of doing right, of living a righteous life. Because God's way works, amen? At... Mary's birthday party, I mentioned the generosity of my father-in-law. And uh, he 
at this stage in his life, they're doing pretty decent. They're doing pretty well, especially even with 17 years serving in full-time evangelism uh, at CEF and, and all these things, you know, just God-blessed, but not just God-blessed as far as meeting his needs, but he just won't spend a dime on anything. <laughs> so you just, you just for 35, 40, 50 years start putting money away, you're going to have some money at some point, right? But you see, that comes from a lifelong of just making wise decisions and doing what's right, and, and they're doing okay now. But even all these years that I've known him, he never hesitated to be a blessing to anybody else. Never hesitated to, to give and, and to just do for other people. And, and to take the, all the money. He's not like, oh, I saved all that money and nobody, you know, this, this is my money. No, he saved it so he can give it away. So he can bless other people. It's really quite amazing. To see that in action. But you also see, uh, well, let me give you this verse, 1 Timothy 4, verse number 80 says, Bodily exercise profiteth little. We know that. It does have some profit, so would encourage you to do a little bit of it. Uh, he says, But godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Amen. And then we see that they have righteousness in abundance. Not only do they have riches in abundance, but they have righteousness in abundance. He says, and his righteousness endureth forever. What a blessing, beloved, to pass on a godly heritage to our children. You guys know our family story, and we talk about it, and the blessing of my mom and dad, and, and how when we get together, all the aunts and uncles and all of our cousins and all of them are going the same direction, and, and uh, we, we have the joy and the blessing of that. But you know, to get there, my dad had to take some stands against some family that weren't living right. And some of you first-generation Christians in here, you're going to have to say the godliness of my home is more important than the feelings of my family. And it's not going to be comfortable sometimes. It's going to be uncomfortable. And sometimes the families are going to wonder, why are you like that? You know, we would love to have you come to our house, but you can't bring your alcohol. You're not going to drink that in front of my kids. You're not going to drink that here. We're not going to have that. What? You can't tell me how to listen. I can't tell you how to live. You can do that however you want. But if you're going to come to our house, you're not bringing it. You might have to take it because the godliness of your home, the privilege that you have to pass on a godly heritage, there is nothing more valuable than you can give your children than a godly heritage. The joy of that. The blessing and the fruit of it. Now my my mom and dad are in a place that you know, they, they just stand back in awe at God's goodness and, and can't hardly talk about it without crying and saying, you know, God has been so good. We don't deserve any of this. And, and it's, it's all him. And, and we messed up more than we, we did more wrong than we did right. And, and they, they just, they, every time they talk about it, those things come out of their mouth. But man, they're so overjoyed that they were willing to take a stand. I remember at times as a young person, people would feel bad for us kids because we didn't have a TV in our house. And dad would, people would donate TVs to us. 
I can't, I probably at least three or four times as a young person, I saw dad carry a TV in the front door and carry it out the back door. He would tell them, listen, we don't want it. We're not going to keep it. It's not something we're going to No, preacher, we want you to have it. You know, your poor kids, they need to be able to watch Saturday morning cartoons or whatever. You know what? We were okay. Now, as a kid, I was bitter about not getting to watch Saturday morning cartoons. I wanted, I wanted to do that. But he said, you know what? That's not the influence I need on my kid's life. And we're not going to have that. He took some stands to pass on a godly heritage. You can do that if you're willing to. That righteousness in abundance. You're plowing the way for your kids. It's hard work. It's a challenge now. But the rewards are amazing. It's a blessing beyond measure. You can take your kids so far in this Christian life. You'll just be amazed. My dad has told me many times... He, he said, you know, son, I was in the ministry probably 15 years before I knew what you knew the day that you started. He says, I, I, I look back and I made so many stupid mistakes. I did so much. He said, I just didn't know. I just was ignorant. I just didn't understand. He said, I just thought this is the way you did it and just went and did it. And he says, man, I, I could have kept from making so many mistakes if I'd have known then what I know now or if I would have been blessed to know what you know as you're stepping into the ministry. Why? Because I was raised in a pastor's home. Because I was taught and trained and learned those things growing up and then God allowed me to go to Bible college and I was trained and taught and prepared to be in the ministry. What I'm saying is the, the, the road that dad plowed for us made it so much easier for us. He had to take some hard stands but it made it a lot easier for us as kids. And sometimes as kids, we didn't like it because we wanted the world a little bit. We desired a little bit of the world. We wanted a little bit of this and that. And boy, I don't know why we have to be so, so uptight. And why, why do we have to draw such hard lines? Like, why can't we enjoy this music? Or why can't we watch those movies? Or why can't we? But you know, dad took the stands and it made it easier for us to be what God wanted us to be. You can do that as a godly man. Everything that we do in pursuit of righteousness lasts for eternity. There's a lot of things that we pursue in this world that have no lasting value. They literally are vain. But everything we do for God is not in vain. It'll last for eternity. He says there that it endureth, right? Righteousness endureth forever. Righteousness, man, every act of righteousness endureth forever. I want you to see, lastly here, his commitment in verse number four. He says, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion, and righteousness. So first of all, we see the assurance of direction that's given. He says, unto the upright there ariseth light. What a, what a privilege to know that we have direction in this life. To know that we have light for our path. We have direction. We know the decisions that we ought to make. My kids, not these ones here, but those that are in college are at the points of making some very major life decisions. I'm glad that they can have the direction of God. That they don't just have to wonder. 
They don't want to, they don't have to just hope. They don't have to just evaluate something from the standpoint of what looks to be more positive. What is the pro-con of this situation? No, they can get on their knees and pray and get direction from God. And then they can know that that decision was made in light of the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit of God. We can know what we should do. You know, sometimes we don't even have to think about it. We know what we should do because there's really only one right thing to do. We've got direction. There's something right that we should do. How many of you would say we live in a dark world? We live in a dark world. And he says here that you can have light. There's light that arises in darkness. When you're righteous. And then we see the application of his discernment. We see that he's gracious. He's full of compassion. And he's righteous. Or you could say he's gracious. He's good. And we finish up where we started. He's godly. This is the godly man. How are you doing tonight? Are you a godly man? A godly woman? A godly young person? Do you have a healthy fear of the Lord? Do you praise his name? Do you really appreciate his word? That's what a godly man does. We see some amazing benefits, some rewards, some blessings of the one that will be godly. These can be yours tonight. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed?